As we as we come back together, there are three announcements I'd like to make. One is that uh, this particularly concerns people who are users of the website. We have a very active website and uh, there's a lot of traffic, increasing traffic, and we are doing a survey uh, among users about uh, how that uh, website might be improved and uh, and getting some information on people using it. So uh, you may have got, if you're on our email list, you probably got an invitation to take part in that survey. And I'm just encouraging you to do that. Take uh, opportunity to have a conversation with us about the website. Secondly, uh, those of you who've been here any length of time will know the name Van Christu, a long-time friend of this council until he died um, a year or two ago. And uh, the Christian family, and you will remember that he was a uh, photographer par excellence. So the Christian family is inviting you to uh, to a monthly reception uh, uh, Saturday, November 24th, anytime between 2 and, and, and 12, 10 p.m. There's a poster out here, but the point is they're doing an exhibition of Van Christu's uh, photography over the years. Uh, it's going to be up from from um, uh, November 24th to December 15th at the Trianon Gallery. Some information is on that little poster as you walk by, but um, a chance to savor uh, about Christus photography. And five. And five. And five. Yes, you can purchase, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thirdly, briefly, I'm trying very hard to be brief here. Canute uh, uh, laid a heavy on me about that. Um, thirdly, uh, in 10 days' time, Monday the 26th, there will be a special session uh, in, in um, partnership with the Exhibition Association around their class for expansion, and SACPA will be part of that format. I think, I believe it's well, lunch and evening. But uh, stay tuned and look for more information on that special session on the at, at noon, just at noon, on Monday the 26th. Next week's session, uh, you, you've got a fire on the table, is around the intriguing term ecological grief. So let's uh, turn to your response to the session. And I, I was in such a uh, hurry to be brief that I didn't tell you a line about each of these people. Dr. Elena Turner is a special is a uh, fellow at the School of Public Policy at the U of C. Um, uh, Kimberly Lyle is a consultant, business consultant in town and an instructor at the college. And Michael Bull is an engineer with the University with the City of Lethbridge. So I welcome them to, um, to come to the mic to be responsive and invite you to find your way over to the lectern there and uh, Put some tough questions to them or make some interesting comments uh, if they want to hear your input to these questions. Go for it. I'm Bert Phillips. Very good presentation, and I had not heard about the app. I'm not very technological, but I shall download it and hopefully will help a lot. My question, and maybe you can answer it in terms of those three questions, is my reality, because I'm quite active in my community, 
Uh, the one issue I see in our community that that I think needs to to be the dominant issue because you can't go very far or solve many of your issues in this world without the basic need of shelter. And I don't mean the shelter like the Lethbridge shelter where you get a mat to roll out and then in the morning you take all your belongings and your worldly possessions and off you go to hang out wherever or go wherever and then repeat it every day. That is not shelter as, as we look at it and everyone in this room has that basic need of like a shelter. So if how it affects, well it affects most of the people that we say are low income and also uh, homeless in our community. So how do we address this issue? Because of food, clothing, and shelter, the three basic needs we all learned in school, food and clothing are probably the cheaper of the two to address, whereas permanent shelters for people, the most complicated and the most expensive. And for men, you can go on to solve some of your other crises like the opioid. So how do we address shelter in Lethbridge for the people that don't have any? Um, I guess I can take a stab as the kind of person that's perpetrating in the community that probably is going to screw this up, but I'll, I'll do my best. So, like I said, um, and actually I would challenge you on the word shelter, it's, it's home and housing, and um, because the shelter, as you said, it, it kind of evokes this very, very rudimentary roof, not a home, right? So everyone has the right to a home and to safe housing. And in, in fact, it's enshrined in the United Nations Declaration on, on Human Rights and which Canada has, has signed off on. So we are legally bound for international law to, to have this in place. Now, how do we implement it? How does it get implemented in, in Lethbridge? Um, clearly, you have a segment of your population that is not, doesn't have the income to afford the private market rental that is currently out there. So the way that you resolve it, the way other communities have resolved it is, and you're, I shouldn't say that you don't have this in place, I think we just need more of. So social housing, non-profit housing, that is rent geared to income, so people pay what they actually can afford based on their income. If there are income supplements and, or income subsidies for low-income populations as well, education and training so people can increase their access to income is, a, is another piece where they can't afford market rent, and all of these pieces are actually being talked about in the National Housing Strategy. So, whereas Canada has, um, well, actually, thinking back, we were talking about World War II. Okay, I thought he was going to cut me off already. And I was just starting to do my quantification. <laughs> but, world, right, World War II, when the vets came home, they didn't have, they didn't have homes. There was a whole class of people that returned from the war that needed homes. And did the government, what did the government do? The government invested in homes for veterans. Okay? And so we don't have a class of veterans from back then that were homeless. Maybe there, there was obviously some of that happening, but government investment and stimulation of the economy to create housing for lower income households was, was a critical part of, of the response. So 
think same thing with the feds coming back to the table and recognizing that, yeah, indeed, housing is a human right. And if you don't have housing, there's all these ripple effects, like you were mentioning as well, that have longer term costs. It's more costly, right, to provide those crisis supports than it is to build the housing, stimulate the economy, get people in, in homes and stabilize. It's, it's always a better option for, for everyone. So. Um, whether you're conservative or a socialist, or it, it still makes sense, right, from a cost analysis perspective or from a human rights perspective. Thank you. Thank you so much, all three of you. That was a very good, very good presentation. I was actually at the. Ah, this is falling. I'll shrink. I was actually at the city consultation process. Can you name you? Oh, my name is Beth Mitchell Atherstone. Um, Leah, you don't have to apologize that that's sort of the quintessential Canadian attribute. Being sorry for you for Calgary and stuff. Well, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm actually Romanian too. That's, I don't know where that's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrific. Okay, okay so, so three questions. Um, uh, number three, how do we address these issues? The, the main issue in, in, in all of this that is a theme that runs throughout that you have to address is greed. Our, our society is based on a greed model that's the basis of capitalism. Um, so we just had a speaker last week, Larry Alfred, who, where are you, Larry? Right here. I think he's gone. He's, he's gone. gone. Okay. Larry gave a fabulous speech on how the banks uh, rip us off on a daily basis. And, um, and he has a book, a wonderful book that you can, you can actually get. So my question relates to one of the first speakers here in regard to housing. We, we have um, the opportunity as those of us who are parents of children, adult children with disabilities, we have the opportunity we can buy a house for our adult children with disabilities to try and keep them off the street so they will not become street people. But any of the social programs that are in place only give them a very basic fixed income. Yet, if you have a house, if you have a home, a condo, an apartment that belongs to you, as the owner, you pay taxes. And the taxes are based on base rate. And those taxes go up every year. I mean, witness Calgary, your own city, um, they said it's going to go up 3.5%. The people who are, who many of us have helped to give a home to, they, they are not in a position to be able to pay that extra 2.5 or whatever it is. So I think one way of keeping people in their homes, irrespective of whether they've got a disability, they're seniors on a very low fixed income, whatever it is, we need to be looking at a way to stop that taxation have it at a minimal rate that is a fixed rate in relation to their income so that we're not throwing people onto the streets or pushing them into rentals where we know that the green sharks are then <coughs> pushing up those rental points. So that would be my suggestion. Let's get rid of this continuous um, uh, force, financial force, on those who are most vulnerable. Whoever wants to reply. <laughs> I am. Devin, that's a great information to have. I know that the city, we're, we're doing a municipal housing strategy, and 
providing that information in. Um, I'm sure that that would be uh, beneficial in that uh, sense. I'm sure that that's something that, that they could look at. That there's a way to, to uh, help uh, those individuals that are on assistance or, or being supported to uh, lessen the amount of, uh, of payments that they have to do that. That is in, I guess, the assistance. I, I, I can't promise that, but I can, it's definitely something we can put in. Sorry, I was just going to say that there are cities who actually have their municipal taxes um, prorated according to income, and there's some, so there, that is within municipal purview to, to explore that option. And there are other examples who have, of cities who have done that. Hello, Team Fennel. I have two things to say. I wonder how many of us realize that um, the people in homeless shelter um, many of them are being put into homes. I think we, it isn't all negative. I think they've made great strides in Lethbridge, putting some of these homeless people into homes, and we should be very thankful for that. The second thing is that we thought at our table that the most pressing problem probably was the drug problem. But further to that, more disturbing, is that many of us, are not feeling safe on our streets anymore. So before you run away, I remember Charles, what, what, what do you think could happen? Have you guys tried to, to the mic? Go, go, go to the bike, okay. please. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> we had questions, not answers. So ah. But as, as far as, as the drug problem, personally, I think that it's too bad that you can go and get uh, a needle with drug in it and keep it away. I think if they had to stay there and use it, that would solve a lot of problems. They do have to stay there. No, there's no drug in the needle. And there's no drug in the needle. Okay, then I'm missing one. Mm -hmm. As far as safety in the streets, I don't know. It's, it's uh, people who... I don't have an answer, but I know that it's true. We feel uncomfortable and cold with the people who are either on drugs or intoxicated. So as you as you listen, if there are ideas or promising approaches that you think we need to hear, then please come up to the mic as well on any of these issues raised. Do you want to speak, Michael? Sure, I'll I could just say I, I was uh, actually attending the Harbor City meeting last night. And, we're actually talking about a, a several new initiatives. I know um, there's a, a new initiative named uh, Sage that they're looking to bring over. Um, it's, it's similar to the one in uh, the Bear Clan in um, Winnipeg, where volunteers walk around the, the downtown and, in a sense, support uh, the police. And I were able to, to uh, uh, talk to and uh, confront a lot of the um, substitute uh, users and, and um, can, or, in a sense, the eyes and ears. Um, and so I think there's a lot of initiatives out there, and I know uh, with the community drug strategy, uh, that uh, it's definitely an issue that uh, we're looking to address, and, and, and there should be more programs and more initiatives uh, to do that, because uh, we definitely want to be able to feel safe walking in this, this great city. Thank you. <clears throat> Point two. Pardon? Uh, I'm speaking because of point two. Do you want to give Who your name, please? Affected. Do you, would you please, like to give your name, please? 
Anderson. Uh, our street consists of three blocks. Uh, the end of winter, my house was broken into by the back door with someone with a screwdriver and had multiple hours while I was away. Also, two days ago, a neighbor told me a young man that has just got himself a car. His driver's window was smashed and broken and rifled, and three type of electronic things were stolen. A year ago, two years ago, a neighbor four houses away. This is all in the three blocks. They, I believe, were on a cruise, and their house was broken into. And no doubt, all three of the people in that, those residences were affected as I was. And the people I've talked to, nobody has a solid answer. And I feel the same way. But I want to add this as a positive note because um, my husband had, in January was in, in the hospital and then he was able to receive a placement for long-term care. And so this is what I've decided, that the people on our street know when you get in your car, when you're on a cruise, because we're a friendly street. Or if one vehicle is missing from your driveway, they know that one person is gone. And my husband is in Edith Cavell, which I compliment wonderfully about the care he's given. And through that process, I have only compliments to say. I am astounded at the amount of agencies or organizations that I was referred to, especially the Alzheimer's Society, for help because it's like you're in avalanche and you don't know which way is up. You have and the mic. You're on. Okay. We used to attend Sacramento quite often, and so when I read the subject, I thought, I want to go. Thank you for all you do. There's a response that I'd like to say thank you for uh, sharing your story. And um, I, I mean, I compliment your resilience to, to look at those challenges with such, um, you know, with such hope. And, and it's going to be that, that community, that neighborliness that, that is going to help us through this. And we're going to have to help each other through this too because there's not going to be this silver bullet that it's going to get dropped and left which to solve all these issues. So it's going to it's going to have to come to that personal support for one another through this really tough period in this in the city's evolution. But you know we're we're strong people. We're Albertans. We've done it before. Maybe we'll have our, we'll find our way through this too. Thank you. Thank you. Just before the next questioner, I'd like to feed in the question that was handed to me in print. And that is to whoever of the three who wants to respond. Have you talked to or given information to medical clinics or on help seekers as it's not uncommon for doctors and nurses to not know who to refer a person to? 
That's a great question for whoever submitted it. Thank you. Uh, what's interesting for me, and I appreciate the comments about the variety of services in the community, is that um, we've had Alberta Health Services at the steering committee table the entire time. And they were saying one of the greatest challenges is that the medical community is aware the services are out there. They're just, they don't have a, a great way of referring. So as a plan, as we roll it out, the first stage was get all the information on there. The second stage is to make sure that uh, for our Alberta Health Services colleagues, uh, the clinics, all of those people will have access to it. It's interesting when I was speaking earlier about creating the asset map for our purposes of assessing the community. All the other needs that are coming to the table in terms of how do we help people refer, how do we make people aware of the resources that exist, etc. And the realization that quite often people who need help, uh, there's a lot of barriers, even in feeling comfortable enough to keep searching and looking and calling. It's usually a friend or a family member that does that searching for them or their doctor. So great question, and yes, our intention is to make sure that the medical community uh, is using this tool. And, and further to Alina's comment that now that health seekers across Alberta, leverage is kind of the pilot community so that this can happen across the province as well. Thank you. Okay, we have three questioners and we want to fit them all in, so um, let's Keep try brief. As, as brief as you can be. Well, thanks for your presentation. Um, when I downloaded the app right there, I was kind of excited, great app. I'm kind of a less is more kind of guy. So I typed in housing and I got 377 search results. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them on there were accounting firms, uh, blow up gym place. The odd one I found was a Leverage Correctional Institute, though. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that would fit on housing. So I'm just a little concerned if, if, if on the need that I, you know, where, where can I go to information quickly and succinctly? And my question is, um, based on polling we're seeing and maybe a change in the provincial government, what would that do to some of our social issues in town? The funding was all of a sudden, um, let's say, diluted a little bit? Maybe I'll take the, I'll take the first one on the filtering, that you have to search for, for the housing in the filter category. And the reason why housing as a service might pop up for things that you might not think is because those services feel like they support people with housing. So it's the services actually select what they provide you with. So there's, a, for instance, an accounting firm that actually supports LGBTQ financial independence in Calgary. Well, that's not my call to tell them what their business is. So people actually develop their own profiles on there. If we, if you disagree with them, then you can let our administration administrators know that that's an inappropriate classification. So we have a quality assurance in place. But I would say use the filters so that you can scan through what's available. And it sounds if you got 300 results, that sounds to me like you looked at a across Alberta. <laughs> and Lethbridge doesn't have 380 resources <laughs> on housing, at least. Um, in terms of your question about political change. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's those social spending is on the table every time. And every time there's an election, not just a potential change in government, because we, there's going to be new ministers, there's going to be shuffling if we have the same political party in power anyways. And so, as engaged citizens on these issues, I would put it back to you. What is this committee doing to ensure that um, the values and your and your recommendations are are filtering through to decision makers as part of that process as well. 
but ultimately you're going to be um, part of electing whoever's the next government as well. So ensure that these issues become priorities and they're heard. It's going to be part of that process. Thank you. Okay, let's get this. Can we get this? The next questioner. Yeah, I have my sympathy with you, Calvary. I went there once and they didn't like it. <laughs> anyway, I won't go into that detail about what's going on around our house, but uh, uh, there's a lot of, there's a bunch of drug people around there buying and selling drugs. They've also had guns and shot up the house both sides of us, and the police come, uh, put the handcuffs on them, take them away, and a couple of days later, they're back again, uh, doing the same thing. And I'm wondering if there's something that can't be done when the police take them away. Uh, one guy beat up his wife, and, they, and the police told him, maybe you should get some counseling. Well, maybe there's something more that they can do when they put the handcuffs on them and take them away before they let them go uh, with respect to helping them get uh, away from their addictions or away from their uh, beating up their spouses. Okay. Thank you for the question. I'll, I'll be quick just to give the last gentleman a chance. Oh, that's fine. So oh. what can we We've got time, Ken. That's okay. I can't really formulate the question right now. Okay. <laughs> so on your point, what can be done and what can the justice system do in that case? Absolutely, there's options. So there's, for instance, drug treatment court. So where you can give the, the person being sentenced a choice in terms of going to treatment or going to jail. So that's another option. Now, I don't know if you guys have drug court here or domestic violence, courts and perpetrator programs, etc. Um, if you if you don't, then we would be looking at that in the, in the gap analysis to, to make a recommendation if, if that is indeed a, a common issue. So, um, yeah, quick answer there. Okay, any other responses? Okay, then we have one final questioner, and go for it. Sorry, Schultz. Thank you very much for your presentation today. Um, I found that in the community, there is community discussion seems to be rife with polarized opinions, and um, that leads to misinformation. And I'm just wondering if there is a strategy in place to disseminate more factual information. Case in point, if you know your comment about perception that there's drugs and needles being given out. I mean, that's a, unless you know otherwise that, um, you know, there's obviously a lack of factual information. Is there a strategy in place to disseminate factual information with respect to the social issues? Yeah. I appreciate what your comment was. Um, as my role in this in addition to the asset maps, to do a lot of the community consultation. So events like this where we're, we're leaving it wide open, you bring forward whatever you, you want us to hear and we're recording it. Uh, we're having one-on-one -on -one meetings with frontline staff, we're meeting with the downtown police on Tuesday. 
um, we, we met with them earlier today with a different part of the police department. We're meeting with the chiefs. We're meeting with all levels, with all organizations, big and small. And we're asking point blank, this is the perception, what is the truth? We've, I've been very clear in the consultations that part of the challenge is when we have misinformation, mistruths, um, the inability to trust the information that we're given, we fuel the fire. And we can't fix the problem unless we know the reality, unless we know the truth. So our commitment from the consulting point, from creating the plan, is let's find out what the truth is. Let's not be afraid to face it. Let's find out what it is so we can deal with it. Then the plan is a strategy. It's a strategy for the city to guide where resources go, but I think also guide the next steps. And realistically, a next step would be how we share information in a way that we keep it real and that we're giving truth. And I don't think we must move that forward. Well, I was saying just, just by you sharing that right now and, and being part of this uh, conversation, um, it, that should be part of the strategy is, is some type of communication plan, ensuring that the right information is being provided so that, that people aren't, we're not fueling that polarization by, by the wrong information being out there. And, and so I definitely, I think that it's very important to get that information because having that communication plan will most likely be part of one of the implementation plans. <coughs> any last comments that the three of you, any of the three of you would like to make for close? Yes, thank you. Uh, on behalf of all of us, thank you for coming today. Thank you for caring about your community and being willing to speak with us openly and honestly. These conversations aren't always easy to have, but we need to create spaces where it's safe to have them. And thank you. <laughs> and um, that being said, we are continuing to do a lot of consultation. If you have ideas and information that you'd like to share with us, that is going to help us find the right solutions for this community. So there is a questionnaire that's available online. I'll let you know we've had tremendous interest in this questionnaire. Um, I don't really stats yet, but um, far beyond what we expected in terms of participation rates. It is going to be available online for another two weeks. And so I highly encourage you, if you feel comfortable on the computer and you have access to one, to please go to leverage.ca backslash social survey. And you can actually rate which issues you think are most important. You can give us feedback. You can tell us about your solutions, ideas that you have heard of that worked well elsewhere that we should consider, okay? And that'll give us some really good information. Um, the second piece is you all got that piece of paper on your table. If you don't feel comfortable going on the computer or you'd rather capture your thoughts right now while they're, they're vibrantly in your head, fill that out and leave it at the tables for us to take, okay? Um, ultimately, we need as much of your information as possible so that we can successfully do something that this community can embrace and be proud of and work together to implement. Thank you. I'm going to give the last word to Knut uh, because he's the head honcho and I have no choice. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, yeah, my name is Knut Peterson. Uh, I just wonder if you could uh, elaborate on uh, arguably uh, most social services are done by volunteers. Uh, how do you coordinate all the groups? Uh, that's a huge job because there's a lot of overlap. Do you have any ideas about uh, how to incorporate that? Uh, using, I mean, you can use uh, modern technology to to help with that. I'm sure. So maybe maybe your website will also help uh, in that regard. Um, that's a great question. Huh? And actually, uh, I believe that it's almost the foundation of 
a lot of the initiatives that we've been doing is um, a lot of these community groups come together and, and kind of start talking about electric acid mapping um, with CMHA and, and volunteer uh, leverage. And, and so uh, the city's taken a, a, a facilitating stance. And, and it, it's one where, you know, once a lot of these initiatives are done, there, there could most likely be a committee uh, of uh, different um, community groups that would uh, attend and, and meet regularly and, and continue this work because the thing is, is as we all know, um, uh, these issues don't just, they're not the same. They're not going to be the same in, in two years and not going to be the same in five years. It's constantly changing. And so having uh, all these uh, community groups talking and, and, and uh, being on top of the, this, uh, these issues, uh, it'll, they'll have more flexibility to be able to be less reactive and more pro, uh, proactive and preventative. So definitely it's, uh, that's a great point because that's uh, a key outcome. Would you like to thank our three speakers? Yeah.